it's never quite the right day to start it, is it? It's never quite the right week. There's always some reason, oh, I'll do it later. Or, this not this week. I'll do it as soon as I finish with this thing. And then you finish with that thing, and uh, I looked at it today, and it's kind of icky, and uh, maybe I won't. And, uh, I will, but just not now. I'll do this. And there's something there that is blocking you from going down a path you badly want to go down. Welcome to the Out of Hours podcast, the podcast for people who are creating things they think should exist in the world. I'm Georgia Ritter, founder of outofhours.org, a community for people with side projects. I believe that everyone has a great idea and working on things we care about can help us be more creative, more resilient and more confident. But there are barriers that stop us from starting, sometimes time, money or network, but also self-belief, not knowing where to start and wondering what other people might think. On this show, I'll explore the stories of people who have followed their curiosity, been brave and started a side project, only to turn it into something much bigger than they ever thought possible. I'll explore the stories of nonprofits, businesses, creative projects, and social movements to understand the practical first steps they took, the doors these small ideas can open, and the magic that happens when you start taking your own ideas seriously. Today on the show, we have Tim Urban. Tim's TED Talk, Inside the Mind of a Master Procrastinator, is now the third most watched TED Talk in the world, totaling over 65 million views. Tim is also one of the internet's most thought-provoking writers. He started his blog, Wait But Why, originally as an attempt to exercise his creative side when he was running his own business, only to find it resonated with many other people. Wait But Why's long-form articles have since attracted millions of views and over 700,000 subscribers. He's famous for his long-form essays on everything from the Fermi paradox and intelligent aliens to why we should spend more time with our parents. Fast Company says he captures a level of reader engagement that even the new media giants would be envious of, and he's got plenty of evidence of that too. He's also about to release a new book called What's Our Problem? Tim is an example of how you can build a career based on your own weird and wonderful curiosities. In this conversation, we talk less about his interests and more about his process, how he started and grew weight but why, how he structures his writing process, how he manages his procrastination, and why he thinks there's no such thing as an objectively cool job. I hope you enjoy. One of the things that you're kind of most well known for is your TED Talk. It's got now what, almost 50 million views, which is insane. Have you checked that recently? I, I used to like check it all the time because it was kind of like this addictive vein activity, but I, I've, I've, got, I've, I've gotten a little bit... Uh, a little bored of the activity. I, I would like to, to to become number one. That would be cool, just because that's awesome. If that happens, um, uh, right now I think it's number three. That's kind of a fun, a fun long term thing to follow. But yeah, I'm blown away by like how how many people have um, watched it. It's not definitely not what I did not leave that talk thinking it was going to do that. Brené Brown's talked quite a lot about the kind of exposure and vulnerability that comes from her TED talk blowing up. Did you have a similar experience? Um, yeah. I mean, it's, um, you know, it was good because it, I think, I don't know Renee's story, but it, it, if I had done that talk a couple of years earlier and I went from like totally unknown to that talk blowing up, I think it would have like really shaken my whole life. I did the talk at the end of like a two year stretch of uh, my blog growing pretty quickly and getting traction. So to me, it felt like kind of part of this larger ride that was happening. Um, part of what I, what's nice about it is that it's not on like um, a controversial topic. It's not on, you know, something that's like, you know, my expertise, I mean, it is my expertise, but um, it's, it's something where the messages that I get from all over the world about it um, are overwhelmingly like just, you know, warm and positive or people saying they can relate, or sometimes they're very, um, sometimes they're, it's someone going through something really hard. I've gotten a ton of those messages as well. Um, but that, that also, you know, I'm happy that, you know, that usually they, they feel happy that, that it's not just them, you know? So I, I I'm happy that the topic that it, it was on is something that I, I think is everlasting and evergreen and, and, and everyone, uh, you know, connects with it. So yeah, no, it's been a very like just positive experience for me it's it one nice thing is that i really am a pretty legit procrastinator and um i now have every situation i go into 
no, people have no expectations. People, people, <laughs> people assume I'm going to be a mess. So when I am, they're not like taken aback. They're like, Oh, look, you're procrastinating. And I'm like, Oh yeah, no, but I really am like, uh, and so it's nice. It's, uh, it, it, it can only, um, you know, under promise over deliver. Uh, it's easy to do that when, when you're known for your, your uh, personal shortcomings. That's the, that's the thing you're known best for. You're like famous for, but I guess the way you do it, because it's got so much humor in it. Yeah, exactly. But because it's got so much humor in it, you're like, you can't help but laugh out loud at certain points. I think it is through just self-deprecation, isn't it? And also that the people kind of recognize that stuff in themselves and they're like, oh man, like this is too close to the bone. You had it from your own experience, procrastination, but like you had to research it and you had to do all of that. Have you actually got better at beating it or are you just exactly the same? Because I'm always fascinated, like does knowledge actually solve problems or does it just like, give, is it just another form of procrastination? Yeah, um, I think definitely can be a form of procrastination. I think, um, I think I understand the problem better and I know more. Okay, so I would compare it like this. If I, had, if I struggled with my weight in 2016 when I did this talk and I did a talk about how hard it is to eat healthy and how I struggle with obesity, it's, it's like that person today still struggling with their weight but understanding nutrition way, way, way better. I feel like it's a... Yeah, it's a journey to you know overcome a problem that's like a self-defeating problem like that, and I do think it takes like a lot of kind of self-awareness needs to build like real self-understanding, um, and kind of trial and error. There's a lot of advice that sounds great for procrastination. There's a lot of um, psychology that sounds on point when you hear it, and often it doesn't really do anything. It's not, it, it turns out later, you look back, you're like, no, I guess that wasn't, I don't think that really was what it was. Um, and so I've also just, you know, because my job entails me trying to be productive without, um, you know, without hard deadlines or a boss or anything. Um, it is something I have to, I mean, I'm working on it every day. It is very, uh, very like apparent in my life if I'm not doing well with it, like it's, it's taking over everything. So um, so yeah, I would say that I, 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 I'm, I've, I've had stretches where I've really improved and then I'll revert, but I do, I do think I'm getting closer to where I can actually give advice of how to fix it. I didn't do that. If you notice in the TED talk, I gave no advice other than this is, other than this isn't a big problem. It's an important problem. It's a real problem and that we should work on it. That's all I said, because I didn't, I don't want to give advice if I still have the problem. I want to give advice once I'm like, I actually figured it out for myself. A lot of the kind of theories on procrastination that go slightly deeper are that it's an emotional problem. You might be afraid of failure or you might be afraid of success. You know, you're actually, by procrastinating, you're actually deferring that negative impact on your self-esteem. And so you can have all the information in the world, but if you actually don't feel worthy of, for example, losing weight or getting fit or whatever things are, it's actually very diff difficult to apply those facts and, and actually make a change. Do you agree with that? Or do you think actually it's, it's knowledge-based as a problem? Well, here's what I really think, which is that diagnosing something like procrastination um, or bad eating habits or bad exercise habits or um, any other form of self-defeating de behavior, diagnosing it as, oh, it's, it results from this. Here's the cause of it. That doesn't make sense because... 10 different people will self-defeat for 10 different reasons. And so I think it's very, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's uh, many different things can cause this problem. You know, I think that when you say, okay, so people talk about procrastination. Oh, it's, it's, it's mood regulation. You're avoiding negative feelings by trying to, in a short run, run to something positive that feels better. Like if you're jogging and you don't want to, it doesn't feel good to be jogging. So you stop because it feels better, even though in the long run, you're less well off because you stopped, right? So yes, like you are, like everyone in that case is going usually from something that is either hard or, uh, and, you know, uh, either, either you're going from something that's hard to easy or something that gives you anxiety or trying to relieve the anxiety. I think sometimes it is, you know, we, laziness is such like a negative word, but it's it's a it's a habit. What what laziness actually is is it's a habit of avoiding effort at the wrong times, right? We're all lazy when we get into bed at night, go to sleep. Like you know, like conserving energy and being you know uh, resting is not bad in itself. 
what's we define laziness is is it's you're you're doing that you're you're conserving energy at times when it doesn't make sense to when you when it would be better a lot of times it's just a bad habit you're in the habit of letting yourself off the hook so maybe you have too little shame about that less shame than other people have i think sometimes it's that there's almost a guilt like I've had stretches where I feel like, oh, no, I'm behind on my work. I need to get nine hours of running done today. And on those days, I'll almost invariably get nothing done. And what's happening there is I, I sit down and I think to myself, I've cleared out the whole schedule. I have a nine-hour block to work. Well, obviously, I'm not going to work right now. I have the whole day. So there's no pressure to work. And what happens is the, day, the hours drift, the hours drift, the hours drift by versus I find it's better for myself to make a hard and fast rule where it's like I cannot work on this past noon. I have to work on this in the morning. And at noon, I'm done for the day with that. That project cannot be touched past noon. So suddenly there's a, you know, there's, there's, and, and that seems easier. You know, it's like, oh, well, okay, that's all I have to do. Well, now I can do it. You know, so sometimes, sometimes we're actually burning ourselves out with our expectations. We're not giving, I think sometimes we're not giving ourselves enough high quality leisure time, guilt-free leisure time. Procrastinators are often always in this gray zone where they know, they feel like they should be working but they're not letting themselves have actual guilt-free fun. I call it the dark playground, but you're always in this place where you're kind of, you're never, you're always feeling bad about your off time and it's never real off time. And I think that's bad. I think that the real leisure time that's guilt-free recharges our willpower. In practical terms, and I know you said you don't, there's no kind of like, here is the three steps. But I think like if, if, if someone's listening and they're like, especially with side projects, because I think that's something that you can just put off and put off and put off because it has all of the trappings of like perfectionism and, and being tired and all the, the kind of excuses. If someone said to you, hey, I've got this idea for a blog, for example, I just keep not doing it and I keep wanting to do it. But then like the months are going by and I'm not doing it. Do you have any tips that have helped you write? Yeah. In the short term, if someone had something they really wanted to start, and maybe they don't want to wait to figure out the root causes, you can create kind of like I think of it as like if you're trying to repair a boat that's kind of tattered, but you want, but you need to get somewhere right now in the boat. Okay, I would say get the duct tape out. It's it's you're not the boat is still broken, but you got where you need to go, right? So there is a duct tape solution. Now what you're talking about is much more of a typical today grown up problem, which is. You want to do something, something that really matters, and you don't have a deadline on it. And so if that's starting a blog, whatever it is, and that's exactly the kind of thing that you say you're going to do, you always wanted to do, um, you, you, in your head, you think, yes, I will do that at some point. And yet, it's never quite the right day to start it, is it? It's never quite the right week. There's always some reason, oh, I'll do it later. Or, this not this week. I'll do it as soon as I finish with this thing. And then you finish with that thing. And uh, I looked at it today and it's kind of icky enough. Maybe I won't. And, oh, I will, but just not now. Whatever. I'll do this. And there's something there that is blocking you from going down a path you badly want to go down. Right. And again, maybe it is fear of failure, putting fear, fear of putting yourself out there. Maybe it's sometimes I think it's less dramatic. It's ickiness is what I would call it. It's like, I don't really know how I know I have to get some like RSS feed set up and like, Someone said something about like, you have to get your SEO in the right place and you have to learn how to do headlines with the right keywords. And there's something called metadata and, and you just check out. You say, ah, icky, icky, I don't want to do that, right? And so you'll have, people will avoid things for years just because they don't want to, they, they, the ickiness, they get daunted by it. They feel like, ah, I have to, I don't want I don't know what any of that means. And then they won't do it. Even though, you know, they're a smart human being who um, could absolutely figure these things out. You know, so many people, less smart than you know how to do those things. Like there's no reason you can't. And yet it, like, it, will, it will just, it'll, it becomes icky. So um, and yeah, there's, so there's a lot of different reasons we won't start it. Uh, so what's the duct tape solution here, right? The duct tape solution is to bring, to recruit the panic monster to help. And so what does that mean? Um, that means you do something, you change something about the world that is now, in, in, in the new world you live in, there is a very scary, upsetting deadline on this project. Now, how do you make that change? How do you make a deadline where there's not a lot of us make a, you know, we think that our, the future version of ourselves is going to be somehow better at all of our problems than we are. You know, we're going to, so you think, oh, I'm just going to, I won't do it this week, but I'm going to do it by next Friday. And I'm going to sit down and I'm going to do it on Thursday and Friday next week. And you just forget that it's still you. You're going to be there on Thursday and Friday, and that, that you is not good at doing stuff, right? You're not, not. This blog is something you've been wanting to start for a long time. Thursday and Friday, you of next week is probably not magically going to be different. So you give yourself an imposed deadline of your own, but for most of us, 
we, it can't just be an internal. So we need an external deadline. We need something that's actually scary to not do. Send out a message on social media or uh, to a bunch of, to a, you know, email 30 people you know and say, uh, sorry, that was on my end. Yeah, email 30 people you know and say, um, hey, uh, a week from, you know, a, a month from today, I'm going to send 10 blog posts over, right? So, okay, so maybe that might still not work because it's just 30 people and maybe they'll, you can just make a joke about how you didn't do it and they'll go away, but it's a little embarrassing. So you've, maybe for you, that actually is too mortifying to say you're going to do something and not do it. So, or maybe it's posting it on social media. You know, a new blog is launching November 1st. Uh, you know, I hope you come check it out. Sign up for the email list here to get my email about my first post on November 1st, right? So that's one way. Another thing you could do, and this is this I've done, is you work with a friend and you say, um, I'm going to have this done. I'm going to have my first blog post done by the end of next Friday. And it's going to not just be done, but it's going to be published and I'm going to promote it on social media. So it has to be final form. And it's going to be at noon on Friday, by noon. And if noon on Friday of next week hits and you go to that website and there's not a new blog post up, I owe you this much money, whatever it can be. A hundred bucks, a thousand bucks. I mean, make it scary. Like now, if you make it, like you have to do enough that you will pay it if you don't get it done. You can't say a million dollars, I'm going to sell all my stuff because you're just not going to do that. Your friend's not going to make you do it. It has to be something that hurts, but actually, you know, you will spend it if you have to. And it really bum you out for the next month that you lost that money. I mean, it's real money. Of that example of kind of like making a promise that you have to stick to, have you ever used it in real life? Oh my God, yeah. So um, two of my friends, one um, is Philip Detmer, who runs the channel Kurtzgesat. He founded the channel. He's the head writer. He's a good friend of mine. Infuriatingly productive. He has a team and he has deadlines. He's a procrastinator too, but he can't, he's not nearly as bad as I am, but he is a procrastinator, but his team's waiting for him to do the thing now. So he has this external pressure. So he puts up these new incredible videos every month, uh, multiple times a month. And it's, it's disheartening uh, reflection, reflection on my own progress. But um, anyway, and then uh, another friend, CGP Gray, who has his great YouTube channel. These are two of the best creators I know, and also two really good friends. And we are kind of a support group for each other. So I will with them, for example, say it could be anything. It can be by a week from today, we're going to have a call. And by then I have to have this thing done. It can be a progress, amount of progress. I have to be on page this of the book. It can be, uh, I have to have put a total n- number of hours in. So I'm logging my hours. Honestly, you have to be on, if you start being dishonest now, wh- what are you doing? What's the point of anything here? If you don't trust yourself to tell the truth, if you think you will skirt on it and then pretend you did it, then set up a Google doc, invite them and say, you can see the work here. It has to be up to this page, right? Or um, one thing, so you can also say it's instead of the number of total hours, which is sometimes a good way to kind of procrastinate and wait and do all the hours at the end, whether it's the end of the week, end of the day, you can say from 8am to noon, five days a week, I will be focusing on my work. Um, WIPY has one staff member other than me, and that's Alicia, um, who's been with me for almost seven years. My procrastination issues are supremely her problem. Uh, she's de- constantly dealing with my issues and we do a... A Zoom meeting, or if she's in person, then sitting next to me where she can see my screen. We'll do a Zoom meeting from you know nine thirty to noon every weekday. My screen is shared during that time, and she can see. She knows exactly. It's mortifying to to be dicking around when she's watching my screen, right? So again, it's not that she has to sit there and watch. She's doing her own work, but I never know when she's looking, and she might be. You know, like someone watching your screen, it's like it's not that big an incentive, right? Like I'm not going to be suddenly, you know, on a big stage and no, not knowing what to say. It's not that scary of a deadline, but it's, it's a, it's a, some, it's some external help is now there. Now there's some shame in not working that wasn't there before. And that's my friend, that shame, that shame is my, is on the right side here. It's pushing in the right direction. And sometimes the force isn't, you know, a 90 to 10. It's sometimes it's 60 to 40 the wrong way. And Adding a little incentive like that can push it over that 50-50 line. And now there's a little bit more pain in not working than there is in working. So it still sucks to work, but it's a little bit better than not working when you add the shame in to the equation. So you've got to add something in that makes it more painful not to work than it is to work. 
I wish this interview was like three hours because I feel like there's so many things we can go into, but I really want to go into the beginnings of Wait But Why. I think it's such an inspiring story because you were working in a job that you described, I think it was on another interview, you said, I spent eight years doing what was objectively a cool thing, but I wasn't enjoying what I was doing. So I'd love to kind of take us all back to that time, which I guess was about 10, 10 to 15 years ago. Moving from something that is like externally validated and people think is cool or not even cool, but like successful. So let's say a successful job, a consult, whatever it is, to something which is you turn up to a party and someone says, hey, what do you do? And it's like, uh, uh, you know, there's no clear answer that's going to make them go, oh, cool. Yeah, great. I'd love to go back to that time when you when you started blogging informally. And then actually when you made the move to go full time on blogging and kind of how you navigated that identity shift from something that was objectively cool to something that was a bit more amorphous and hard to explain. It's interesting. I mean, there's a lot there because in, in some of the issues that I, I, I was stuck in an identity that I couldn't shake, which is that I was supposed to be doing something creative, whether it's for me, it was like composing music and writing were two things that were really felt very me. and. You know, it felt me going way back where five-year-old me would have been like, yeah, those are cool jobs. 10-year-old, 15-year-old me would have all approved, right? Certain me's along the way would have, you know, I had certain blips, certain moments when I was like, oh my God, being in business, being an entrepreneur sounds amazing, right? But those were, they, the, I had a lot of those. I wanted to be a professor at one point. There was one little, you know, freshman year of college. I was like, oh, I'm a professor. You know, there, were, there, there was a lot of like little phases along the way but the one that was always there was like if i could be doing you know some kind of art form uh, professionally that would be the coolest for me when i was doing this other thing it was like yeah it it was you know one one thing that's um that's good to remember is that whatever you're doing it's going to be cool sounding to some people and either and other people will look down upon it or they'll scoff at it or they'll roll their eyes at it or whatever. So right now, I mean, I'm a blogger. I draw stick figures. I write, you know, colloquial tone. I'm not really an expert on anything, you know? And there's definitely a lot of people who, you know, look down on that and would think, you know, he's a, he's a fake writer. He's a fake intellectual. He's, he's, you know, why is he, you know, he's procrastinating at the age of 40. What's he doing? Definitely, right? I'm not like impressing everyone. But there's a lot of people that are like, oh man, that's awesome. Like, that's such a cool, like you're a writer and whatever. Meanwhile, before I was, I was, I was building a company. And a whole different group of people definitely would have thought that was, you know, wow, this guy really has it figured out. And then other people would have been like, eh, yeah, whatever business, you know. So it's it's just a good good thing to remember in general that, like, I guess the you know the the, the big lesson would be don't worry too much about what anyone's thinking because first of all, everyone's self absorbed. No one's even thinking about you that much, and that's really hard to internalize. Um, like, truly, no one really is even thinking about what you're doing, or you know, and maybe if they do, they'll think about it for two seconds and they move back to their own lives. So just don't worry about that factor. But also it's like, who, if okay, if you are going to worry about that factor, it's not, will people be impressed? It's who will be impressed and who will not be impressed. So maybe your parents aren't very pleased about it, but maybe your friends are. Maybe your, your high school friends think it's lame, but maybe these new people you've been hanging out with think, would think it's awesome. And so I, I mean, I'm lucky enough that, the, that the both like starting a business and you know writing professionally sound cool enough that it's like, I, I, I've never... I've never felt like insecure about like, oh, like I need to inflate what I'm doing. I've never felt that way about either of the things. The thing for me that was the issue was that I didn't feel, I feel like I was not living my life. I was living someone else's life. It's, it's like, um, I, I mean, I was being a huge spoiled brat and that like I was working with my best friend. We had awesome staff, like our employees were um, like our really good friends. We were, you know, it was fun to come to work every day. Um, We were always, you know, had to be creative and we were using all different kinds of our own skills. So it it was objectively great. Uh, That's a dream job. It's just that there was an even dreamer job that was looking me in the eye, you know, whenever I I knew there was this other thing I could be doing that was a dream going way back many, many more decades. So... Um, can you talk so me through, me, yeah. can you, sorry to interrupt, I just want to ask you to kind of actually go back to that time, because it sounds like, and it's amazing if it's true, it sounds like you, it was pretty seamless for you, you know, you're like, ah, oh, I enjoy this, I enjoy this, so I'll just move from this one thing I enjoy to this other thing I enjoy, 
But I can't imagine it was that seamless because it's a big identity transition, right? To move from, even if they're both objectively cool to different people, what what did it look like? Because you were blogging for six years, right? Just on the side as a hobby. How how did that even start in the first place? Well, so that's what I was doing is I was I was exercising these other uh, muscles on the side. I, I I was composing music on the side. I made a little like instrumental album with the producer Glenn Ballard. You know, I was writing a musical on the side with a good friend Ryan Langer, and we were having a ton of fun doing that. I was blogging on the side. And I was doing all these things one quarter as well as I could have been. Meanwhile, what I was doing full time was business, and I wasn't um, I wasn't giving that my all either because I can you can put in the daytime hours, but giving business your all means you're thinking about it in the shower, you're thinking about it after work. It's just on your mind. You're taking dogs on a walk, and your 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 wheels are turning. And I, I, I wasn't enough, you know, that's not where, cause I was thinking about, oh, well, you know, this, I'm gonna, let's add a song into the musical, uh, what should it be? And then I was like, oh, here's a good idea for a blog post. And that was a very bad feeling. I mean, it was, uh, in, in, it's not that this was that bad a time. I was doing a lot of fun things. These were all interesting projects, but there was this macro problem I had, which is something's got to give. This can't be how I go on forever. I, I know this is wrong. But the perfectionist to me doesn't want to decide. And there's a lot of fear in jumping onto one of these boats and letting the other one sink. Especially the business boat was this nice uh, safety net for me. It was, I'm all, okay, don't worry. I don't have to worry about being a failing artist if, if I am, because I, that's just a side thing. This is my main thing. Uh, I can just try those things in the side. I don't have to worry about like, so it, it was this nice thing where no matter what, I was doing something cool because I had this business, right? And, and that's a, that's a, you know, that was a crutch and that became something that's hard to then jump out of and, uh, and actually take that leap. Um, it makes it, you can, you know, when you get used to that identity of, oh no, I'm, I'm a successful person. That can be this prison you build around yourself. And how did you actually recognize that this thing was building inside you and you wanted to do something about it? Well, um, on one hand, I mean, so I had a lot of false starts. I, um, I moved to LA right after college to write movie scores, to write music. So that I was going full in with, with an arts career then. Uh, then this started this tutoring company kind of initially as procrastination and then it became a real thing and got really excited about it, went in with it. And at that point I was like, you know, it was 27 and I had a moment when I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go full time with, um, with, with, with writing. Cause the blog, I just started blogging a couple years earlier and it was really fun. And I was like, oh man, this is so like such a fun activity. Like I'm going to go and see what I can do going full time sometime. Uh, I never made the leap. And four more years passed. And then I, I would say that I, I found a way to make a leap that didn't require full bravery, which is I, um, so Andrew, Andrew Finn is, you know, was my um, business partner and also my best friend since we were five. So he knows me very well. And we, we truly do just like kind of want the best for each other. So like, and we each have our own needs in life. And we, you know, part of our partnership has been trying to like help the other one get what they need from life, you know? And so I remember having a talk with him. It was like, we were talking, walking on um, the like Manhattan beach boardwalk midsummer 2012, a year before we I started. And so we kind of came up with a weird plan that maybe I could have my cake and eat it too. Uh, as far as doing, taking a try at something without like severing the, you know, but still being partners, you know, a couple of years early, we had a, we actually had a template for this because we had, we both were really into podcasts pretty early before, you know, most people were 2006, you know, 2007. And we said, let's start a podcast app, which is, you know, like overcast type thing, but we were going to try to make the best one yet, you know, um, we, we tried it. And that, that, that app, you know, for whatever reason we built it and we just kind of, I don't know, we, 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 it just kind of petered out as a project and we were back working together. And so we, we thought, okay, let's do another one of these things. So this time I'm going to go do something is a media platform. Like who knows what that could be, you know, used for. So why don't we just consider this a business project? I'm going to go and go full-time with writing, make a new blog, go nuts with it, see what happens. We'll see what happens, right? And we'll stay partners. He'll run. So that, that's what we did. But I can't give myself full credit for having made that bravely because I, I, I did hedge. I was able to still have this other business thing going on. And, uh, you know, we could put down joint money from the business into this new venture, which at the time didn't need that much money, but we still needed hosting and MailChimp and some early promo on Facebook and stuff like that. I think that, you know, most, most people are not, they don't have that option to kind of, well, that's, that's, maybe that's not true. That's kind of what I think you, your, your point often is, is that 
there are lots of ways to do what I did, which is to not take a full, throw everything away, sell your house, you know, whatever, go nothing. You can actually start something with only a little bit of risk, with only a little bit of a life change. And I do think that's possible because I'm an example of it. The way that you financially made that possible was through what money from the business, the previous business. Yeah. And first of all, blogging is, is a pretty cheap, you know, pretty cheap thing to start, right? You, you don't need much. Everything, you know, I was, we were on blogger.com. So that's free. The hosting was free early on. MailChimp is free before you have enough users. You can advertise on social media, you know, without any money until, you know, we, we started putting money into that later. But, um, but mostly it was that I could, but I could support myself. I could pay my rent. So it's, you know, you still need, your life isn't free. So I, I could, um, I could live on kind of, I kind of had like a blogger. I had a salary as a, on the first day I was blogging basically, because it was just the, the, you know, the salary, the, the business salary that I was being paid is now for this. Cause it was part of our joint kind of, this was all part of our broader joint operation no, you know now it seems in retrospect oh well this well, it was going to take off well we didn't know that at the time it seemed like it might be six months or a year and nothing happens um and then i come back start working at the company again you know that de-risks it a lot if it had been an easy choice i would have started doing that earlier right i, I wouldn't have waited till i was 31 to finally go full-time and take it seriously and what was the first six months like like what, what was the first blog a success? Like, did you get an audience? How did you actually go about growing the audience? Yeah. So the very first thing I did is I went to Easter Island alone for a month, which is, you know, the tiny island in the middle of the Pacific. Um, and I was just like, it was one of those things where I'm going there and I'm going to be isolated and I'm going to come up with the design for the blog and I'm going to write the first bunch of blog posts and come back and hit the ground running. It then took me six months, by the way, of procrastinating when I got back, where I still had to come up with the name of the blog and, and, I was the initial designer, programmer, and I had no idea how to do any of that. So I had to be using, like, I had to be learning the most basic HTML. Uh, so I spent six months doing that and finally published the first post, which I wrote in Easter Island, which was called Seven Ways to Be Insufferable on Facebook. And this was definitely a try to get attention blog post. It was, it was meant to be kind of spicy and something that I could maybe could go viral on Facebook, which at the time in 2013 was the uh, platform. That was the hypothesis and it worked. Now, wait, but why? Social media has a lot of reach. At the time, my personal Facebook page had, you know, I don't know, 400 friends or whatever it was. And our Wait But Why Facebook had seven followers, right? So that was useless. I, the very first engine was my personal Facebook. It didn't go crazy viral, but it brought in enough interest that now every post, instead of having 15 reads, you know, had a couple thousand. And that's tiny still, relatively, but it's big enough where you're giving yourself a shot to go mega viral. I think it had like at any given point, we'd look at like Google Analytics, it would have like 50 people on at any given point. But it was, but almost all of them were on that first post. So now I'm like eight, nine posts in and a couple had little blips, but nothing with that first post was still getting traffic and bringing in 90% of the traffic. And I thought I wrote some other really good posts, but they didn't pop the same way. They weren't virally, you know, some really spicy kind of offensive, kind of mean, kind of funny critique about modern social media and how shitty we're all acting. You know, that's that did better than, you know, my diagrams about, you know, how many people have ever lived or whatever. <laughs> that, but that, that base was huge because it gives yourself a shot where if you do something, if you do a really good viral post now, it's going to have way bigger springboard just because that, that having a thousand people spreading it versus 50, you know, uh, is, is now going to, it's like exponential chance to go way bigger. You're giving yourself a much bigger shot to really pop. So that's what happened. 10 posts in, I wrote a post about millennials. Why, you know, I was called why the time it was Gen Y, why Gen Y yuppies are unhappy because I had an acronym and that post was just the right post at the right time. You know, luck. I don't, uh, I, I, I was, uh, I do feel like it was, it was, you know, I think it was a good post and it was definitely very, uh, you know, it hit, but it was, it happened to be the exact right time. And Facebook was an amazing place for it to spread. And um, that blew up. And I went from, you know, there was 300 email subscribers when I published that post. And one week later, there were 30,000. And wow. so it was just, you know, a hundredfold, a hundred accident people here now. And 
And then what happened is a bunch of the other posts, those ones that hadn't gotten much traffic, they all started to go more viral. And that Facebook post went mega viral in a way that it hadn't before. Because now everyone's here and they're clicking around. And this other post on this timeline post I did got millions of views that week. So it was it was a very exciting week. Meanwhile, I'm in North Korea that week. because that's I, The next post after that viral one was me coming back from North Korea and saying things I learned in North Korea. Um, so that was crazy. It was like the one place in the world I couldn't check the internet and I had no idea what was going on. And I came back and I was like, oh my God, this whole thing blew up. At that point, now it's like, okay, this is now a thing. This is now, uh, you still, it, still, it still could go away, right? It's like, but now it's like, that was a lot of motivation to put a ton of time. I'm like, now there's a, there's a stadium of people reading every single post. You know, people talk about nootropics and, you know, all the different work, work you know, smart drugs and the work drugs. The best one is the adrenaline of like, oh my God, you know, it's, it's some fear. It's, it's scary. I was like, oh my God, you know, this is, this is a public thing. Whatever I'm writing now is like public now. So uh, that really fueled like, uh, you know, basically 18 months of me just writing like all the time working on it, still procrastinating each week you know, for three days. And then, but then like putting, really putting in the hours because all those people was suddenly this huge external pressure. And did you see it as a business, like from the offset? Because I imagine that might change the types of things you write about or how you feel about it. Were you, was it strategic? You know, did you approach it with a business mind or did you approach it more with an artist's mind? I think at the very beginning, the idea was uh, the business you know, let's make it, you know, let's, let's, let's have a platform that has a lot of traffic and then maybe we hire writers and it's a writing site. But that, that plans changed as, as it started to blow up. I was like, okay, you know, I, these, I have like a lot of readers that really want to read my writing. And that's, and like, oh, by the way, that's also like what I've always wanted to do is like create art for a, a big audience. And so very quickly it was like, A, for, from a business standpoint, like if, if we think that there's ways to monetize a big media platform. Well, like, let's just keep doing what's working. My first priority is I just want to make stuff that's true to me, regardless of whether it's the most viral. I want to like make this like, I want, I just want to like have complete art, artistic integrity with this and do like an intellectual integrity, like do what I'm really interested in. So part of, you know, having it grow early was nice because I didn't have to spend so much time like, in survival mode, we're like, this project is only, is it going to end in a year if, if it doesn't get more traffic? So that's a different, you know, incentive. Once it grew enough, I was like, okay, people are here and hopefully they're here to stay. And I can start digging into like what I really like writing about now. So stop thinking about everyone else and just write for those people. I interviewed uh, Polina Marinova Pompliano, who's also a writer, uh, runs her own uh, thing called The Profile. Maybe you know her. She's based in New York, yeah, actually. Great. Yeah. She mentioned to you, she was saying that the way that you write is that you think of essentially like a stadium of Tim Urbans. Where did you get that clarity from? Because it feels like a lot of people would approach that and go, I don't want to lose this audience, you know, and that's how people dilute their content because they're like, oh, I should write about something that every, all these 30,000 people are going to be interested or all these, you know, seven, 600, 700,000 people are interested in. Did you have that temptation or was it just very clear to you that you wanted to keep your own personal integrity from the beginning? I think I started to be more, I think at the very beginning, I may have been trying to, you know, let's go viral, right? Let's, um, still, still not all of them. If you look at the early posts, like some of them are very weird and very like me playing around, my, you know, nerding out, like making diagram or whatever that, that I didn't think was viral as much as I just loved it. But um, but yeah, as it went on, um, I think it, it, you get some of that confidence from writing like yourself in your own voice, you know, doing drawings that you think are funny or interesting and having other people kind of give you the validation by signing up for the email list or commenting or whatever that, yes, I like this too. And you're like, okay, so my taste is not alone. Like if, if, um, if there's certain things, because, you know, you have to remember is there might be something that you find interesting or funny that's pretty weirdly you. And you're like, yeah, none of my friends actually find this interesting. Just me. But you have to remember that your friends, like we're talking about a tiny little sample. And the internet is big. If literally like, if you picture, a, if you take any group of a thousand, you know, scattered throughout the world, and you take that group of a thousand and you rank them by people who are who are most had the most overlap with you in terms of interest, sense of humor, you know, style of how long they like things to be, learning style, whatever it is. 
and then you rank them from the most to the least, right? And the person at the end is the person you have absolutely nothing in common with. You hate the things they like and vice versa. That Just taking that number one person, the, the most in the, out of all thousand, that's, again, if there's 5 billion people on the internet, that's 5 million of just them. Five million. So, and, and the way the internet works is that if you do something that's like that, that people, someone that at least some contingent out there loves, not just likes, but loves, uh, people will find it. I believe that. I, I, don't, I think there's a, 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 the internet's flooded, but it's really with a lot of mediocre stuff most of the time. And it's especially, it's with a lot of um, derivative stuff. It's, it's with stuff that is very much like copying whatever else is out there. Same goes for music, same goes for a lot of different art industries. Most stuff is either not that good or it's derivative and uh, not that original. So if, you, if, if, if you're just you know, really working hard to try to make an A-level quality you know, piece of something, someone is going to say, is going to come across it and send it to that person and say, you're going to love this. And once they find it, you know, as opposed to something, someone reading your thing and being like, yeah, that was pretty good. And then they leave and they never remember you or never even looked in the first place to see who wrote this. It's just an article someone said. But if they're like, oh my God, I love that. They're gonna. They're not gonna forget that. Like, if, if someone loves it, they're almost definitely. Maybe it's the second time they see it, but at some point it's gonna click, and they're gonna be like, "Oh wait, who is this? What is this? I need to." And then they're gonna go binge through your stuff, and now you found a lifelong, like, you found it like a, a, a someone who will continue to co- not just come back, but they're gonna evangelize it. They're gonna send it to other people, and they're gonna become a salesman for your stuff, right? And so, so anyway, the reason I think about a, a stadium of Tim's is just that. I find that, you know, how do you know what's A level, right? You know, again, A quality for one person to someone else's uh, F, right? It, it's, it's um, whatever you do, it's only going to be an A to some group. So why not use myself, right? And, and knowing that um, whatever I'm, if I find this thing fascinating, definitely a lot of other people do too. You know, none of us are actually that unique. If you're super interested in black holes, like you find them so fascinating and how big they are and how they work. Like definitely a lot of other people have the exact same opinion about how interesting black holes are, right? If you have a certain, if you're some certain brand of some political movement is annoying you or is, you think is underrated, definitely a lot of other people agree with that, right? And so I started just using that to be my litmus test for quality. If I would really love this if someone sent it to me, if I would find it fascinating or um, or hilarious, then, um, you know, try to make something that would appeal to those Tims and you're going to then, and I, I don't have to do a focus group about them. I don't have to wonder what they'd like and guess. Cause I know. I love that because I think a lot of people, when they think about that, they think like, oh, there's so many people who want to write about black holes or whatever the things are. And actually that's a downside because, you know, there's so many people interested in this. Why should I write about it? But actually I think flipping it and saying there's so many people interested in it who want to read this as opposed to who are, you know, could be writing about this is, is amazing. Also, most people writing about it, most people writing about black holes are probably not doing a very good job. They're probably writing 10 articles a week and they're, they're racing through something. They're probably not putting the time in to do something original and they're probably not doing it in just exact style, you will. So even if a lot of people are writing about it, doing a killer job on it, like it's going to rise to the top. That's what I wanted to ask you about. How do you make your content great? What do you, where do you go to find new ideas? So I think there's a, there's a balance so on one hand, if you're not putting enough time and effort into your work, it's just, unless you're an absolute genius, it's just not going to be that good because someone else out there is just as smart as you and they're putting in more effort, right? So you have to put the time in, write something, re- come back to it the next day, rewrite it, send it out for some feedback, come back, you know, actually work on it. Don't just pump it out and post it. You know, 2013 to 2014, I wrote, you know, a, you know, in those two years, I probably wrote almost 100 blog posts. And 12 of them are beloved still today. You know, they really click. People still write me about them. People, you know, wanted the t-shirts with the things. Meanwhile, there's a, a ton of other blog posts that, you know, have a few people who love them and most people forgot them the day they read them or people just, they were, they were hated. No one liked them at the time. And the, the, the way I got to those 12 was not by sitting there and obsessing over, you know, how am I going to make this one of the 12, one of the, no, it was by just taking a lot of swings and you never know which ones you, sometimes you're just going to be in the right moment. You're going to be in the right flow. Something special is going to come out. You don't know. You can't engineer that. You just have to be putting in the time every day. And also you don't know when it's the right timing. That, that millennials post was perfect timing. I, I couldn't engineer that. 
I put on a lot of other things that I think may have gone super viral in a different time and they didn't, right? So, but, but if you take enough swings, one of those is going to just hit. And when it hits, it's going to serve you for years after. You're going to get new people that come in that never leave, that read all your stuff, that tell, that tell, you, tell other people about you forever. And so, yeah, it's, there, there's that balance is really important. And did you stick to weekly? Like, how did you come up with enough ideas to stick to a weekly cadence? Well, so I started with every twice a week. And I realized that there were a couple times when I was so immersed in something that I said, I, I can't do, I'm going to take, I'm going to tell them there's no post this Thursday, just wait till next Monday. And I realized that those posts were doing the best. And I realized that like the quantity to quality thing, the twice a week was pushing a little too hard on the quantity side. You know, once a week is... What's this week's topic? And I can mull on it all week and I can read about it. I can actually have time to do some research and I can actually have time to do some better drawings and make some more complex visuals. And so that seemed like a nice amount. And I, and I think it, looking back, I think it was a great, um, it was, it was, a, it was a very, it was the right balance, especially since, you know, you have to remember that part of perfectionism comes from expectations when you think that other people think this is your best work and you want it to then reflect, well, if you're doing every week, everyone knows you only spent a week on. No one thinks this is your magnum opus. They know you just spent a couple of days thinking about it, writing it. So the, their expectations are down, which means you can just publish and not have to worry so much about having it be your best work ever. So then I, I, I tried something different because I wrote a few really long posts. It took like over a month. You know, uh, Some of those were the Elon Musk. One was an AI. Um, and those posts really did well. And everyone really liked those. My readers really liked those. Like They brought in a lot of new people. People dug in. They actually read them. And so I started saying, you know what? Maybe this week thing is too short. Uh, maybe I need the time to do these longer things. And so I changed it to instead of new posts every first, it was Monday and Thursday, then it was every Tuesday. And then it was every sometimes I changed it to. That was not a good plan. And looking back, <laughs> that that now, it took away an important panic monster and an important external deadline. So, you know, ever since I figured that out, I've been mired in the longer project. I do plan to get back to weekly. But again, everyone's different. Someone else might want to publish something every day. But how do you come up with ideas? Because even once a week, it's like writing a whole thing once a week. Do you ever get to like Wednesday and you're like, oh man, I've got to find something to write about? No, that's not a problem I, I have. Because if the only criteria is what am I interested in? And that's a lot. And so there's no other niche. I wasn't like, I write about politics. I write about science, right? This is a comedy blog. No, it was, and you could, you have no idea what's coming next. It might be one <laughs> big chart about time. It might be a bunch of stick cartoons about awkward interactions. It might be a treatise on here's the deal with AI, right? So given the breadth that I, you have available, I, what I end up with is instead the opposite problem, which is tyranny of choice. I have a, you know, any good conversation, I'm writing down a oh, good blog idea, right? A good, good post topic. Any book I read that has a really interesting psychological concept, ooh, I want to dig into that and write about it. Right. So you end up with a giant list and then it's just about what I would try to do is mix it up and you know, pick a I didn't want to do four science posts in a row because then people start to think, oh, this is the science blog. And then when you do a comedy post, people are like, what are you doing? This isn't what I come here for. So yeah, so so the, the life provides endless topics if you're curious. And do you keep them like in a notes app or in a notepad or how do you actually track them? Yeah, I have a I have a text edit doc. Um, on my computer that is extremely long. It probably has 50,000 words in it now. Um, and it might just be me at four in the morning having an interesting insight and just typing into it. It might be a link to something I want to, there's a topic in there I want to dig into. It might be a statistic, you know. Uh, so it might be one of my own tweets. You know, I'll just think of an idea and I'll tweet it. And then that resonates. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll expand on this. and I'll just throw the tweet into the doc. So the doc has, uh, you know, as uh, is, is big, yeah. And how does Wait But Why make money? So early on, we had ads, banner ads, and that's just felt trashy and shitty. And it's like everything on the blog was a reflection of like me and my interests and my style, except for then they're like just weird, you know, ads on the side. Then started doing Patreon. So we have a lot of long-term people who support, which is very fortunate because it means I, whether I'm working on something that will take a week or something that will take three years. There is a, a, you know, a support from these readers. Very grateful for that. And then um, I'm going to be doing like my first book. Um, we sell a lot of t-shirts and mugs, you know, drawings really lend themselves well to merch. And so, you know, it cobbles together um, enough to support a small, very, keep the operation real small. It's me and Alicia. 
and you know we have hosting fees and we have some programming fees and we have if you want to do something like an app you know we need we, right now we're putting out an, an ebook you know need need to pay so there, there, there there's always costs but don't try not to build a big company because then you need a lot of revenue models and um you know we're we're like you know i do some speaking now it's just like you know if, you, if there's a platform usually there will be ways to to bring in revenue patreon is a nice model where if you have, I forget the number of people say, but I think you know, if you have 50,000 people that really like what you're doing, which is a lot, right? But like, it's not that many. It's, it's, if you're doing something really good, like for a while and you persist and you have some decent marketing strategies, like you should be able to get 50,000 people that really like what you do and come back again. And, again. and then you start something like Patreon and you have a 10th of those people paying you three bucks a month. So now you're making 15 bucks, 15 grand a month, right? And that's, that's a full-time salary. That's a really nice full-time salary, right? So even if you have 25,000 people and you get a 10th of them paying you two bucks a month, okay, that's 60,000 a year. So I'm saying it's really that you have two or 3,000 super fans who really love what you do and they're willing to pay a few bucks a month, um, which is more common now. People often think, you know, do pay more, you know, uh, pay pay the things they for the things they do on something like patreon um you can you can support yourself full time right so a couple thousand people who like your stuff enough to pay a couple bucks a month is not that tall in order if you're doing something excellent what it's what's really hard is to become a household name that used to be like you know you 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 get you you become like a you know a huge famous or you or nothing at all now there's this giant tier in the middle of people that are well known by the little group of people that love what they do and not household names, and that's awesome. And, and but you have to then talk about donations. You can't quietly, kind of apologetically say, "This is how." We, if you guys like this, I can keep doing this if you support me. You have to be able to go out there and ask for it. And then if you do that, I, I do think that. Uh, and but 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 it's much easier. Keep your living expenses as low as possible. If you need to be a fancy person, you know, it's that's a lot harder. Let's talk about the book. Why did you decide to write a book? You know, I had a pattern where there, I was doing longer and longer things that were basically books. And people had to read them on their phone or on the computer. And I thought, why don't I try to make something that is either print or at least audiobook, ebook? It's not really that different than what I've been doing. It's another long, really, it's another long post series, but it's in book format. Um, and that's why I consider this current project a, a post series in book format, where the, 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 I'm doing something after this that's going to be more of like an actual book, book, book. But this is, um, this is, uh, it's, you know, it's called What's Our Problem? And it's basically the wrangling together of all the thoughts I've had on our current society and current politics over the last six years and wrangling it into one. You know, discourse is at an all-time low. Um, our candidates are kind of like shittier and shittier. Like everyone, you know, people hate each other. You know, political tribalism is on the rise. We're kind of getting collectively stupider like it feels um so many of our institutions seem to be losing their integrity and not really upholding their core values um you know delusion is on the rise and you know everyone's living in separate realities like this isn't good right this isn't this isn't good at all like and um why and the question is why and i don't think there's bad people i don't think it's that everyone you know there's evil people i think it's just that something something changed and it's bringing out really bad behavior and how do we diagnose it so we can fix it we need we need more awareness of what's going on and we need more courage to say the things we think thanks so much for listening to the out of hours podcast if you enjoyed this episode please consider giving it a review so i can find out what you thought of it you can also email me at hello at outofhours.org or just sign up to the newsletter there's a link in the show notes